Well, Happy New Year to you. Welcome to the program. This is our first show of the decade. And look at me, wearing the same pants. (laughs) Come on, you are too. All right, I'm Alex Green. This is Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out. You paint a picture on the wall Cause you got a lot to tell me But you don't think you can say it better Oh, baby You're bringing up times I can't recall And I'm sure they made your point But I just can't seem to remember, yeah And I know you got the feeling And I can't say I'm agreeing With your topic of conversation Listen to the reasons and the hints that I've been given to the thoughts of my imagination. So come on, let me sing. I said, baby, you're amazing. I want to let you see. Are you everything more to me? I will let you be. is the music of my guest today on the program, Josh Kelly. Let me tell you a little bit about Josh Kelly. Now, before I tell you about Josh Kelly, we should first talk a little bit about golf. That's right, golf. All right, so golf is an intricate game of precision and patience. Amidst the rolling hills and verdant greens lies a complicated challenge that requires discipline, focus, and dexterity. Now, I don't know about you, but I can never get the ball into the mouth of the dragon. But then again, I didn't grow up playing golf. Josh Kelly, however, did. The Georgia-born singer-songwriter was a collegiate golfer, and that discipline and focus I mentioned a second ago were skills he employed both as an artist and a promoter of his own music. I'll let Josh tell you that story, but in the meantime, let me tell you a little bit about Josh. So, what is the real intersection between sports and music, you ask? Well... Here's my answer. Both are crafts that require hours and hours of practice before one can be any good. That said, practicing guitar is like being out back shooting free throws. Both require self-direction, solitude, and commitment. For Josh Kelly, golf came a little before music. Raised in Augusta, Georgia, which is the site of the Masters, Kelly was a young golfer whose drives were as smooth as the Savannah River. He ended up playing golf at Ole Miss, but he was also playing music. In fact, when he was a teenager, Kelly and his brother had a band called Inside Blue. So at this point, he was already fairly seasoned. But the thing was, music was overtaking Kelly's passion for his sport. And along the way, the same obsessive drilling that it takes to be a lethal putter had also made Kelly a pretty lethal singer-songwriter. Raised on everything from R.E.M. to classic soul, Josh Kelly's music had real heart and his gritty delivery and catchy hooks were sure to help him make the cut. And make the cut, he did. Kelly put out his own album, Changing Faces, in 2001. A year later, he was signed by Hollywood, and in 2003, his For the Ride Home album had everyone taking notice. Kelly put out seven records after that, including 2008's Special Company and 2016's New Lane Road. Over the course of his career, Kelly has toured with everyone from Miranda Lambert to his brother's band, Lady Antebellum, and his songs have appeared in movies like 27 Dresses 
and Herbie fully loaded. He and his wife, the actress Katherine Heigl, are busy raising their kids while balancing their respective careers. And Kelly is cranking out what is arguably his best work yet. Look, Josh Kelly is a tremendous talent. He plays with soul and fire, and his songs are tuneful, truthful, and timeless. And he was great to talk to. Proud to have him as our leadoff hitter of the decade. So enjoy it. Me and Josh Kelly kicking off 2020 right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast. Augusta, Georgia scene that I grew up in revolved um, sort of more around like the James Brown culture. Uh, And so, you know, with that, like the local scene, when I got good enough to start playing with other bands and stuff and sitting in with um, uh, guys who played for James Brown, uh, I learned a lot more about um, sort of the pocket, about that sort of soul funk pocket. And um, that ended up being um, you know, a huge um, sort of building block for me for being more of a soulful guy. I got your first record when it came out, and I thought I thought for sure maybe you grew up listening to some REM. Oh, absolutely. No, oh, my God. Automatic for the people I still listen to. Um, I think they, they got the title for that because of this guy who worked in some little little restaurant or whatever and it was like some little dive restaurant thing and every time an order would come up he would go automatic (laughs) (laughs) i think that's how they got automatic for the people i'm pretty sure unless somebody totally pulled in my leg years ago that's one of those Um, albums that when i listen to it josh i think that is an album you gotta listen to it front to back absolutely absolutely it's incredible it still holds up yeah it does still hold up and when you're making music and when you were putting an album together, do you think in terms of, you know, a beginning, a middle and an end of a sort of a sonic narrative that you're, that you're crafting? I just started doing that. Um, I would say, well, I'll say that it started on a record that I did called special company, which I think is still probably one of the best records I've ever made. Um, but you know, it was independent. Um, so, you know, it, not as many people know about it as, as I would like, but um, I had a sonic palette. That's kind of what I create. I create a, uh, instead of having like a million different colors and paint brushes and mediums of, of, of artwork or whatever, you know, that you can play with, I try to pick a, a certain sound that the guitar, the electric guitar is going to sound like throughout the record, uh, a certain bass sound, bass tone, um, you know, different like keyboard patches. I try to, I try to keep the, the color palette kind of small. And, and I feel like when you do that, um, you're, you make more space to do really, really great things vocally. Um, and you also, you know, it's also like reducing clutter. It's a lot easier to create when you, when you get rid of a lot of clutter. And so that's one thing that I've noticed over the years that I've gotten better at is is deciding what colors I'm going to use before I start recording anything. Well, first of all, how do you make that decision? Is that difficult to do? And I don't know. Sometimes I just stumble upon it. I try not to overthink things anymore. <laughs> I used to overthink everything. And I just like, 
I, I literally go, if it sounds good, it sounds good. If it sounds good in my ears, then it sounds good. And uh, that's the same way I'm with mixing now, too. I used to, I, I, I probably back in, in like 2010, I, I probably my second mix was always the best. And then from there on, it was just digressed. And like 19 mixes later, I'm like, what did I, how did, how did that just get here? Um, <laughs> you know, so I try not to overthink things anymore. But, um, uh, you know, so yeah, what I'll do is I, I kind of just like, you know, I'll plug in a, a certain amp and a certain guitar and, uh, you know, maybe like three different pedals or whatever. I think it's kind of cool. Uh, and it's like, um, actually a really good example of this is I did a cover, a covers album called Under the Covers. I think it came out maybe two years ago. Yeah. And it all started with the song, Bruce Springsteen's I'm on Fire, and that I play live. And my manager was like, why don't you, you know, record that? And then it was so much fun to record that I just started doing more and more and friends started sending me suggestions. The next thing you know, 10 songs later, and I basically just did like a song a day, you know, uh, in the morning I would, I would learn the song at my house. And then when I feel like I owned it in my own way, then I would go start recording. But on that record, if you listen to it, the guitar, the electric guitar tone is the same. It's got the whole record. All I do is like the tremolo, I, I slow it, you know, slow it down or speed it up for whatever the song needs. But um, but all of the tones and all the sounds, um, my drum set, I literally just had a kick, hat, and snare. That's it. And then yeah, I would overdub, like, you know, like the ride cymbal and things like that. And um, so sonically, it feels like they're all married together, mm. which nowadays is, is kind of rare, you know, because it's more of a singles kind of world now. But um as i'm getting older i just keep i feel like i'm getting better and better and um and it's more fun for me to have that sonic palette and that way i'm I'm not fumbling around and going well, what should i do now i know what i should do next I, and i'm gonna you know pull the mic down and play the exact same acoustic guitar if it calls for that or you know what i mean right they're just i just surround myself with it so honestly it's wherever i swivel my chair um is where everything is so you know, to the left of me is my um, is my drum kit. So I just swivel my chair to the left, start playing. Everything's already mic'd, ready to go. To my right, um, if I swivel to the right, it is my uh, MIDI keyboard. And then if I swivel all the way around, it is a real grand piano, nine foot grand. And um, and then obviously the music guitar and the bass is hanging on the wall. Um, so everything's right there, you know. And yeah, I, I mean that's with vintage tones and vintage sounds. So I try to make sure that everything going in already sounds like, you know, like, like I want it to sound as a record, you know, and I don't like to have to polish a turd basically is what I'm saying. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, I want it to sonically sound great going in. It makes the mixing process just so effortless. Well, I like your, I like your setup. That sounds like everything's right there. So it sounds like you've got oh, it. It's so fun. It is. It's so much fun. And then basically there's just a, a shitload of unused space <laughs> right behind all that. And that, that houses like a countless amount of vintage and just weird instruments that the majority I never use. It's usually when other bands come in and, you know, it's fun for them to have things to play with. But, you know, I, my room could be, it could literally be an eighth of the size. <laughs> it's it's <laughs> indeed you said two things that are really interesting to me. One, you said that a really early album you did, you still love. And you also said that you feel you're getting better and better. I love hearing that because so many people 
disown the early stuff. <laughs> you know, like that was that no, was. No, I love you know. I love the early stuff. I love the early stuff. You know, one one thing that I've noticed that, and I'm actually kind of now wondering if I even care that much, but I, I do. But um, you know, I noticed that lyrical. I'm a better lyricist. Um, when I when I got that when I got that record deal in Nashville with Universal Records, and I think it was 2010. And I wrote all those songs out there, and I still do. I still write a lot of songs, you know, for country artists, and I consider my stuff, um, you know, has a has a good country influence as well, but with a sort of a soul bottom bottom. Um, but you know, I go back and listen to a lot of those lyrics, and though a lot of them don't really make sense, they feel great, and that's what I love about them, is that you know the flow. Um, of the of, of the words that were chosen for their syllables and things like that you know they it, it just flows really nicely and it doesn't always have to make perfect sense it doesn't always have to be a perfect button-up story and so i am realizing that now i don't even though i'm a better lyricist i don't i don't slave so much over the rules that i learned in nashville and i do love those rules but they're they're meant to be applied and also kind of thrown away well like so for a record like for the ride home um, I mean, for a yeah. debut album, that's and lyrically, that record is really pretty accomplished. I mean, it, it's yes. so beautifully done. I mean, it was, I think it was like 2003. Does that sound right? Yeah, it came, it came out in 2003. Yeah, basically, I, I got a record deal my junior year in college. And, you know, it's crazy because I don't know if you, if, if, if you have, if you know how that happened, but. I think maybe I, I think maybe I mentioned it a couple times early on, but I got signed because I figured out, for lack of better words, like a little scheme using Napster, and and nobody had figured it. I mean, I I literally just stumbled upon it by accident, and um, and what I noticed is that you know, let's say that at the time you you would type in like James Taylor, and if there were a hundred people who were sharing James Taylor songs, a hundred results would come up, but it was always limited to a hundred results. So um, one day I accidentally right clicked on, on somebody's unique username. And then this little thing popped up. I was like, what the hell is this? And it was a way for me to message, message them directly. And um, I was like, Oh my God, I have a freaking great idea. <laughs> and so what I did is, is I uh, I had to make sure that my laptop, so I would go to the library at Old Miss. I was at Old Miss at the time, college, and it was the only, it was the fastest internet was at the library. So I would, you know, hook into their little Ethernet port, and I would have to make sure that that my Napster that I had songs sharing my songs. And so what I would do is my goal is to do a hundred a day. So let's say I would next day I would type in like Stevie Wonder, and I would and I would right click on each unique username and say, hey, I noticed that you like Stevie Wonder. Why don't you try this kid out? I just found named Josh Kelly. You're going to love him. <laughs> and so I did that every day for two months. And then I remember on like the 60th day or something like that, I got a message back from this guy. He said, hey, um, I really like this kid. Um, um, how did you discover him? And then I literally I said to him, I said, well, it's actually me. Um, I'm just trying to get my music out there. And he goes, well, I'm an A&R guy for Hollywood Records. And I'd, <laughs> he goes, is it okay if I call you tomorrow? I was like, holy shit, yes. Jeez. And I, I remember when I came up with the idea, the very first day when I when I discovered the idea, I remember like beating the steering wheel like a Jerry Maguire moment because I knew it was going to work. 
and because um, I just knew I had enough good material that you know that it would maybe it would maybe help me jump into that body of water that you know the big leagues. Yeah, you. And, uh, it was crazy. Yeah, I mean, it's an incredible story. I mean, by your junior year of college, you had a record deal. My junior year of college, I couldn't even get a girlfriend. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, one thing that I've noticed, and, and my wife has always said, she's like, you're a really great manifester. And I've lost that a little bit, a little bit of that. You know, I was so driven to get that goal that, by God, it was going to happen. And um and, you know, now I'm married and I have kids and, and I mean, I write every day and I work on music every single day, but I'm trying to re, sort of refine that guy who is so um, focused and, and, and passionate that I could really move the needle in any direction that I wanted to. Um, it's a little harder now because I, you know, I divide my time between four children and, and a wife and pets. And all that yeah. Stuff. But, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, I am doing some sort of just uh, sort of self work and some intention work and trying to become that really great manifester again, because there was something, you know, uh, beautiful about that. Uh, but when I did get the record deal, I kind of thought to myself, well, now I've got this whole team. Like, I don't have to work as hard. And I tell young kids coming up all the time. I'm like, that does, that's not the case. You actually, you have to work harder now when you get to that big goal you're just at the beginning now and then you got to work even harder. And that's one thing that I wish that somebody would have told me when I first started out, I probably could have capitalized a lot more, you know, uh, on that good success of that first record. Yeah. I remember when Andy Roddick became the number one tennis player in the world and they said, you know, do, do you love that you're number one? And he said, no, cause now I'm, I have an X on my back. Everyone wants my position. Oh, totally. Right. And I think yeah. that, what you're saying is that you have to sort of maintain. Um, so you have to work yeah. harder to sort of maintain what you have. Yeah. You know, and, and um, there's, there's a, a million little lessons I've learned over the years. I mean, and, and, and that being said, look, if it would have gotten, you know, bigger than it did, I may not have met my wife and I wouldn't have these kids, you know, it's like, right. Uh, I love the way the dominoes have fallen um, and I wouldn't trade it for the world, but I'm also, um, not going to kid myself and 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 be content because i'm not content i want to be bigger i want to be playing bigger shows and that's a big goal that we have now and i've surrounded myself with this really great team of believers um and it's the strongest team i've, I've probably ever had and um it definitely something feels it feels really good again it feels like something's about to happen and i remember that feeling before so now I just need to kind of get out of the way and make sure I don't self-sabotage it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you are a good manifester, but I mean, isn't, don't you think that manifesting also is attached to desire? Absolutely. 100%. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I desired, I desired getting a record deal so much when I would, I had a ritual that I did every single night when I, I would like sort of kneel down and, and do my nightly prayers when I was in college and, and, um, and I, and my ritual was, and I told my wife this before, I had nothing to touch me. Like basically I had to move all the covers away and nothing on the floor could touch my feet or anything. It was really kind of weird thinking about it now, but you know, <laughs> I, I do believe in, in rituals and the power of those kind of things. And, 
and and I do believe that it helps you manifest because I guess what I what I've noticed is that when you are when when you really really want something you have that desire um, you kind of see it in everything in the day like anything that can get you there you'll notice it whereas if you're if you're not if you're not focused on trying to get to that goal or whatever little things that might help you there get you there during the day um, just sort of pass you by and uh, I do think that's kind of like the big thing and I can't remember years ago I saw that thing called the secret or whatever yeah and it's like I think somebody said that's like magic that isn't just like not I don't think it's really magic it's just the power of your brain and and what you what if you have wants and desires all that does is you, you just start to see things that will link them all together you'll notice them and then when you notice them you pull them into your world and then you apply them and i think that's that's the magic of it to me i don't know i could be full of shit but <laughs> no no i mean i think what you're also saying is that you're arguing for being very present yeah absolutely which which now is you know i was thinking like man it's really hard to do with my kids but then i just sort of I kind of, I sort of changed, and that's, I don't know if you've heard the new single, Busy Making Memories, but that's, I have. that's, kind, of, that's kind of what changes. I, I basically went, well, I'm so proud of this. I love this family. I love being a dad. You know, I love to create and craft and cook and all these different things. And so I, I realized like, well, let's sort of change, um, uh, what my, not facade, what, you know, my image. Um, and I already put that image out on Instagram, just sort of, just, just kind of the way it is. And so now that's kind of what's easy for me to write about is things that I know and, and writing busy making memories is, um, it's easy for me to play it live because, you know, the audience can tell when you believe what you're singing. <laughs> right. And when you believe it, they believe it. And, uh, I think why I think that's why that song is resonating so well right now with people is um, it's just really honest and, and believable, and I think people go through a lot of these things a lot that are lyrically being sung in that song. Well, you know, you have these these children, and when you're writing your music, do you think I always wonder this, Josh? Do you think like these are songs that in 20, 30, 40 years are still going to be here. Like, do you think like, do you think of your children as an audience of, as future adults looking back on their dad's music? Um, does that ever I, occur to I you? I hope so. I don't know. I hope so. You know, I mean, what, one of the, one of the great sort of like byproducts of, of this is when I play shows and I've had people come up and certain songs like got them through things. Right. Um, that makes me feel really good. That'll 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 keep the needle moving for me for sure. Um, to keep doing this, uh, especially in a in the in a state where the music business is pretty fragmented right now, um, it's very unstable to me uh, as far as um, the financial security of it. You know what I mean? Uh, you know now now I'm I'm where before the majority of my income was coming through publishing and, and, uh, you know, maybe record sales, but also like TV shows and things like that. Um, but now the majority is, is, is coming from, um, live shows and, uh, and public performances and, 
private shows, uh, festivals, corporate events, things like that, that has become, and, you know, the positive for me is that it got me back out on the road again. And I do love performing live, but I got a little bit lazy um, there for a while because uh, I wrote the theme song for that show, Mike and Molly. Right. And that's that that song got syndicated. And so I had some really good mailbox money coming in. And, um, and so instead, instead of writing songs, I was like, you know, doing like, like 100 miles a week on my bike and all these other things. And, and that was probably good for the soul. But also, um, as the business started changing, I really had to kind of reset the compass and go, all right, man, you got to, you need to start hustling again, bro. And, and it, now it's led me here and it, it feels good. It feels good to be back in the fray and back in the big league. What was your initial plan? You were in college, you were headed, obviously you had declared a major and you were headed a certain direction. Had you not innovated and re and the guy from Hollywood, you found him and he found you. What was your initial plan? God, my wife asked me that one time. I music has been my plan since I was uh, probably twelve, and I remember being in the car. You know, my my younger brother Charles is in the band Lady in the Bellum, and I remember being in the car. And my mom was driving, and I and I remember saying to Charles or my mom, I was like, I want to do music for a living. I want to, you know, that's what I want to do. And Charles was like, You can't do that. And it, it, like those. Those people are like born into that or something. I can't remember exactly what he said. And I remember even knowing then, I was like, I don't think so. I think they're just regular people who just, you know, who, <laughs> who find the opportunity and, 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 you know, make it happen. So, I mean, I was a computer graphic design major. So I, I definitely was going to do something with the arts. Um, so you never know. I, maybe I would be building websites or doing some sort of maybe writing code. I don't really know. I really don't know. Yeah. Uh, but I love to create. Uh, I do a lot of leather work and, um, you know, me and my wife, we do a lot of painting. And uh, so something creative I was going to do for sure. Um, I don't think, I don't know if a desk job, I don't, I don't know if I would or could have done that. Depen I don't know. It just depends. It's very, it's an interesting question because, it's it's hard to know when you're already when when I'm you know when when my path has already been I've been walking on it for so long. Right. Um. So I was I was on a I was on a golf scholarship in college. So that was a plan when I got to college, possibly too. You know, is to be a professional golfer, and and, and that was going to be my world possibly. But then once I started playing shows in college, and I realized that. I was going on more dates because of music and not because of golf. <laughs> I was like, okay, I think I know what to do. Musicians have more dates than golfers. I think that's probably a fact. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe not now. Maybe not now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. you were in school. What college were you at? I went to Ole Miss. Okay. Uh, University of Mississippi. Okay. So, yeah, I grew up in Augusta, Georgia, which is basically like the golf capital of the world. I think, right. you know, because of the Masters and – and so, you know, growing up in Augusta, if, if you're not playing the game of golf, you really have a hard time making friends. So, you know, <laughs> I grew up playing the game. My older brother, my older brother was an incredible golfer. and We idolized him and, 
my younger brother Charles. He was a great golfer too. And um, so it was what we always, it's what we did every day as a family and, and, and for competition and things like that. Um, and it was a great way to grow up because I will be honest with you, it's probably the best damn business tool in the world. Mm. Because think of a different, think of another situation where you spend about five hours of undivided attention with someone that you might want to go into business with. And, and that's one thing that happened when I signed the record deal with Hollywood Records is that Bob Cavallo was the, um, was the um, president of the label. And when he shook my hand, he turned my hand over and he looked at the calluses on my hand. He was like, you're a golfer. I said, yes, sir. Um, was just playing division one college golf for Old Miss. And he goes, well, let's get out and play. And so I got to play with him. And because of that, you know, he got to realize that, that, you know, I'm a gentleman and I'm a good guy, an honest guy. And, but he liked that I was really good at golf as well. And, and I really do believe that that, Move, that pushed amazing that the first single amazing it pushed it over the hump um because they put more marketing money into that song and they 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 wanted to make it happen and did you did you get out there with him and just shred on the course or did you have to pull back a little bit and, and no, no i just played you know i mean that's the thing is there's no golf is not as competitive as people think it's really just a it's really just a joy, you know, to get out. And I think, you know, especially at the time when I was hitting the golf ball, like I was hitting it then, I, I still played pretty well, but you know, then I, I could really stripe it. And so really, this is going to sound kind of cocky, but it's not, um, people like to just see that, you know, right. And it's more, more so they're just, they go, they like to sort of witness really good, you know, good golf. I was never a great golfer. I was good enough to get to that, to that level. Um, but honestly, I, I was never going to, to make it in the pro world. Um, I don't think so, but I had a, I had a good enough game to, to kind of wow people every now and then, which was cool. And I think that helped, but we were never competitive. We would just shoot the shit and have fun and, you know, and go to the halfway house and have a margarita, (laughs) (laughs) keep playing. It was awesome. I love, I loved those days. Those were, man, those were great days because I was still supposed to be in college, but yet, you know, I had a lot more money in my pocket than more than, than, than my friends. And, and it was weird. I didn't even know what to do. And I was just like kind of giddy and weirded out at the same time. They can talk behind my back and lie about me. Take my money, take my pride. They can kick me down and break every bone in my body. Force tears from my eyes, but they can't get the best of me, the best of me, the best of me. They can't get the best of me, the best of me, the best of me. Cause I got you. Cause I got you. I got demons all around me I hear them whisper in the night Oh, they're trying to break me down But they ain't got a prayer With this angel by my side 
They can't get the best of me, the best of me, the best of me. They can't get the best of me, the best of me, the best of me. Cause I got you. Cause I got you. through lines I think of your career is there's been a confidence I think in your aspect where I think you've always known where your strengths are yeah I I think so I mean I think one big thing and I'm very thankful for this every day is that um is that I was born with a with a with a good voice and, and, a, and a good tone and um and then my brain understands musical theory uh, i may not you know know how to like read notation and things like that but um as over the years as i've studied theory a little bit i realized that it's been there this whole time mm. um my brain has always just known what to do musically where to go musically and um and that's been a really big gift and then on top of that you know having a good tone and being able to really sing um that's just like that's just something I, you know, all I can do is just be really thankful for that. Um, I did not, I've nurtured it, but that came from somewhere else. <laughs> That's not, you know, I, right. I do believe that you can learn how to sing, but you can't, I, I, you kind of either got it or you don't and, 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 and anything in life, you know. When did you know that like, okay, this is, this is something that I can do exceptionally well. Um, you were talking about how you wanted to do music at 12. Did you, did you already know at that point, like I can sing like, and you could really feel the power. Not really? No, no, not really. Because, because my little brother always sang, um, was the lead singer in all the bands we were in because I was so obsessed with, with guitar and, and piano and drums. And, you know, you know, over those years, I, over the years, I've learned how to play like, I think like 15 different instruments. It really just, probably just ADD really <laughs> who knows but once you learn one they all kind of trickle into the 
same world. And I think um, learning how to play drums early on was really important. Um, and I think just as important if kids are coming up, um, I think they should start to play piano first because learning how to deliver music percussively is huge because it spills into your singing and everything, it spills into how you deliver the music. Um, so understanding rhythm and um, is, is a huge building block of being successful in music, I believe. Um, because it's, it spills in everything, your strumming pattern with your right hand on the guitar. Um, uh, the way you play piano is so percussive, you know, any, it really, anything, bass, it's huge with bass, you know, learning that, that, the, um, that the bass guitar doesn't really have a chance to bloom unless it's about 10 milliseconds behind the kick drum. So they can't play on top of each other unless you're playing jazz and then the bass guitar plays about five milliseconds before the kick. Either one, either way, one has to have a chance to bloom. And that comes with just practice and understanding rhythm to me. Do you think that your discipline as a golfer and as, you know, as an athlete has informed your discipline as an artist? I'm 100%. I think, I think golf is a big one because you you know, understanding um, rhythm, timing, and tempo, you know, it's it's impossible to hit quality golf shots if you're trying to murder the golf ball. It really, all it is, is the best way to explain it, it's kind of like a fly rod with a, with a, a fly rod has to, or, or, even, or even just any kind of fishing pole, has to load before you can swing it forward. You can't just, you can't just like slap it into the water. So that's the thing with golf is, you know, you, you kind of have this pause at the top, and then, and then you then you unload, and then you you let the lag release before before the golf ball at the right time. So all those things have to happen so perfectly in like little tiny milliseconds of time, uh, or or the ball goes nowhere or 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 far in the wrong direction. So that's the thing with music. It's like picking the right tempo is something that that I I slave over. And sometimes it drives me nuts if a song, if I listen to a song that maybe has been out for like five years and I listen to it in the car, I'm like, oh, that's too fast. So I really try to, I really try to take my time and figure out what, what is the perfect tempo that the song needs to live at in the world. Um, and I think that makes a big difference. John Alasia taught me that when we, when we recorded the first album. He, uh, he was very, he took his time on trying to figure out the perfect tempo for each song. How are you as a collaborator? Do you think, and do you think that you have always been a good collaborator or is that something that you have developed over the years? I developed into a better one than I was. Um, I think I was kind of cocky early on and very stubborn. That runs in my family. Um, <laughs> very stubborn and thinking that I was always, you know, right when, when really, you know, you should sit back and, and listen to other people's opinions. Um, so I've become a much better collaborator over the years. Um, and just getting, just getting older and wiser and in enough situations that I've been put in, I think, I think co-writing a lot in Nashville helped me to be a good collaborator because you have, you have to kind of figure out where you're going to fit in, especially nowadays where, you know, now in, in a lot of the co-writes, you have a track guy. You have a lyric 
person, somebody who's really good with melody. And, and so some, there's some sessions that I'm in where I'm the track guy, where I come in with my rig and, you know, I've got my little MIDI keyboard or whatever, and I'm kind of, while we're writing the song, I'm sort of building the track. But that's a little rare for me. Um, I'm usually just kind of sit back and, and chill, and I like it better when we talk first. You know, if we just kind of sit and talk and throw out ideas, but usually just shooting the shit actually ends up being better songs come from that than if I'm trying to come into a session with like some idea. Um, I actually do that all the time where I was like trying to come in with like five different titles. Um, but that, I don't, that just always feels a little forced to me. So now I just kind of sit back and chill and, and I've got this great opportunity to be writing with like really accomplished, super creative people. That helps a lot. Do you ever get intimidated by those people? Um, I don't know. Not really. More so if somebody's really great at something, I ask questions. I'm like, how did you do that? How'd you get there? Um, you know, the constant student of this, of this game, it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a, a for lack of better um, comparisons, it's like a doctor having to stay up on the on all the newest kinds of medicine or ways to to you know open a body up and go in or whatever you know what I mean all the newest things you you have to keep your arsenal new and that's a great thing that happened to me about two years ago. In Toronto, my wife was doing a uh, TV show called Suits there, and so we all just lived there. and And so I started meeting different people from the local scene, and I met this guy named Togs, T A W G S, Togs Salter, and he was the track guy that day in the session. And I just loved what he did. He was so fast, and it sounded so good. And what he inspired me to do, and luckily he was very kind with, you know, giving back kind of thing. Like any, any question that I had, he would tell me how he did it. And I love that about him. Um, and so what it did is it, it, it took my production skills and inspired me to, to get to the now. I'd kind of been stuck in like 2008 and 10 with my production skills for too many years. And now I'm in, it made me feel like a kid again. I started like buying new plugins, like getting different sounds and just researching the different ways to like make things happen musically. Yeah. A lot of people who listen to the show are aspiring musicians. And I think you said something really important and valuable, um, which is to ask questions. And I think some people are, mm. it's so hard to do that, but it's such an important yeah. thing. Yeah. It's huge. No, it's, it's, it's so huge. Years ago, I see uh, probably 2005. Me and Joe Firstman did this session with um, Jim Scott. You know, Jim Scott produced and engineered like all the Tom Petty stuff, Fleetwood Mac. I mean, you name it. He's a legend, and I would just ask him questions about how he engineered things, how he got those sounds. And I feel like the best people, the ones that are and that are the most confident in their craft are the ones that are fine with showing their tricks. And it's, it was huge for me to learn that. So, yeah, I mean, asking questions 
is massive. Don't ever be afraid. The the worst that can happen is they say, you know what, man, that's just that's kind of my thing, and you know that's the worst they can say. They're not gonna, nobody's gonna like hurt anybody. Right. You know. Right. So don't be. Don't ever be afraid to ask questions. I mean, that's the way that every. That's, that's, that's the way that, the reason that we have all the cool things we have that are not associated with music is people asking questions and then creating. You know. Um, yeah. I'm sure that all the big, biggest inventions of the world. Yeah, and I'm sure younger musicians ask questions of you. Absolutely. Um, I like to teach. I teach Grammy Camp, and I'm going to teach this class in Athens. Uh, um, I think a gift that I that I've always had is 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 being good at teaching and making it making it making it sound and feel achievable. Um, I think that's like a big a big part of it. And I know that I have that. And that is one thing that I will do eventually as I get older is probably start teaching more, um, you know, how to craft a song, how to mix, um, things like that. Uh, when I was in high school, I used to teach guitar lessons and I had a really good success rate with kids sticking with it because I never just like taught them chords or anything like that. We actually started off with me asking them like what their favorite music was. And I would say, well, that's cool. Well, let's, let's turn that song on. And then I would show them, you know, what key it's in. I was like, this is in the key of G. And then, I, then the first thing I would teach them is the pentatonic scale. And I would say, I would put it up, write it out on a piece of paper. And I would say, so tonight and the next couple nights until I see you in a week or whatever, I just want you to jam with this song. And you can, and you can hit any note in these little things right here, and they're all going to sound right. <laughs> And so that just kind of like kept them playing and kept them exploring and, and, you know, it made it not school because if it feels like school, most people aren't going to do it. It needs to feel like fun. Um, so yeah, little things like that, I think are key. Between you as a golfer, you as a musician, you as a father, uh, you also must be an incredibly patient person. I think I'm pretty patient. I do. I feel like I am. And I've become more patient. Um, I like, I like to see, I like to see things, you know, come from nothing. I, I, I love, I'm, I've always told my wife this for years, like, it's like the everlasting gobstopper off the Willy Wonka factory. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. I like to see things being created that when I'm, when I'm done with a song, you know, I love that it's, that that came from nothing, you know, it just came out of nowhere. And now it's, now it's something. And so that, that like, that gives me um, a lot of pride. And I think that's what kind of fuels me doing it too, is just creating something and then, then being able to like, look at it or listen to it and go, that was cool. That was fun. But I know what you mean though, about the live environment. I spoke to uh, Emerson Hart of Tonic a few days ago, and he was saying that, you know, do you know Emerson? Oh, very well. We actually uh, every year I I do this this little festival in um, uh, right outside of Park City, Utah, where I live, and and I'll bring like two other you know guys to play. Um, and Emerson uh, and Javier Colon came this year. I, I love Emerson. He's the best. He's, he's so, amazing. He's so freaking talented. He's, he's amazing. So talented. He's so great. And he was saying that, you know, he was singing. He said, you know, I sing a song 
and and the song is from a thought that I had, and I can see it connecting with people in the audience. And he's like, I can't get over that. That's like such a cool thing to yeah. have a thought of mine connect with a person in the back row. And so you get that from the live experience. So I could see, you know, how, you, know you must be dying to get back out there, you know, and play in front of an audience. Oh, absolutely. And I, and I do, I do play a good bit every year. I mean, I probably, let's, I probably was doing 40, 50 shows a year. I mean, I'm going to obviously be doing a lot more next year, but one thing that I learned, I think it was in 2014 and I started doing just more solo acoustic shows is that the reason they were resonating so well is that, you know, I would have people laughing their asses off and then five minutes later, you know, I'm playing a song about my daughter and they're crying. And mm -hmm. if you can get people to go on this emotional roller coaster and really connect, um, it is the best feeling ever. And, it, and I, when I really know that I've got an audience and that, like I've got them, um, that is a serious high. And I don't know if there's a drug that can recreate that Yeah. because it does feel really, really good. And I don't, I don't mean to sound whatever about this but I, you know but i've been doing this a long time and i was not this good when i first started off i was i was pretty shy and you know would kind of hide behind the guitar and would kind of hide my personality thinking that it wasn't cool to show it and um it's definitely one of those things that you know has to be shown because people are smart they can tell when you're not being real <laughs> when you're not being you and the consumer is very smart and i've i've learned that over the years um and kind of started tailoring songs to you know to that you know songs like naily moon and cowboy love song and you know those are songs about my children and then there's um loves you like me is a song that i wrote for my wife um you know really just trying to let her know through my lyrics like you know um thank you for being a great mother and being a a great wife and putting up with this giant kid that I am <laughs> for so long. So little things like that, it's, it's, you know, it's hard. I have a hard time writing about something I don't know. It's tough for me. I have a hard time finding the lyrics. When you do complete something that you're very proud of, who, who's the first person you go to to play it for? Do you have like my wife, your wife, my okay. wife is a good, and and my brother Charles, if if it's a song that is that I feel like you know could be a popular song, um, then I send it to Charles because he has. He just knows what a hit sounds like. I have no idea, you know, what what could be a hit and what's not. Their song, um, "I Need You Now," uh, I remember him playing that for me, and I was like, "Dude, that's really cool." And he was like, "It's gonna be the first single." I was like, "Really?" Because I didn't, I just don't know. I knew that I loved it. That was a beautiful song, but he just knows what's going to be a hit. <laughs> and I do not. So I send those to him. I send those, those cool, you know, songs that could be radio songs. I send those to him. And, uh, but really, yeah, you know, really just him and my wife and then my buddy, Eric Curtis, who's a, who's toured with me for years is my bass player, but he's also a great producer and writer and, um he's a, you know so i do i have a i have a yeah i have about three or four people that i that i bounce things off of um and and i take their advice now i used to I used to kind of balk against advice but now i definitely take it 
the old stubborn Josh Kelly sometimes rears his head. Dude. Oh man. <laughs> I mean, I just spent Thanksgiving with my family and I know I know where it comes from. It it really we're all a bunch of dominant A personalities. It's like just it's like a freaking ticking time bomb when we all get together. <laughs> yeah, do you you must feel sometimes that stubbornness. It doesn't go away. You just become better at managing it. One hundred percent. Yeah. Right. It doesn't go away. You know, I, I think it can also be kind of a superpower. Um, kind of like, you know, whatever sort of my wife swears that I have some sort of attention deficit disorder, but but whatever it is, when I'm onto something, I I focus I I, I can focus on it like supremely and and I know exactly how I'm going to build it I can map it out in my head and literally build it that exact same way so I'm, I'm actually really glad that my mom never gave me Ritalin or anything <laughs> there's a chance that it kills a dreamer I don't really know for sure yeah do you feel now more creatively alive than ever I I think so I don't I don't really know I feel very creatively confident um and i know when i'm chasing something that that's not going to happen i know how to just i know how to not give up on it but to move on right to something else um i do i feel very creative but also sometimes i'll be you know like yesterday i was i stumbled upon like a really really cool guitar riff and then the, the melody that sang into my phone it's really really cool and and I, and I should have worked on it. I should have kept going. And I might actually work on that when we get off the phone. But I was, but I, had, I, I was like, why don't you want to do this right now? And sometimes I just don't, you know, sometimes I just don't have the the drive in certain moments to do it. So I catalog these ideas and I put them on the back burner. And I'm sure some of them have gotten lost in the fray. So the answer to that question is I don't really know. I feel when I am really onto something, I feel super creative. Um, but the family does take up a lot of energy, uh, and especially right now, my wife's doing a Netflix original called Firefly Lane. So I'm daddy mom and a lot more than, than, than I was, you know, previously, Right. which I also love that, but it, it takes a lot of energy. Do you think it's important that when you have an artistic impulse, like you had the other day, and you yeah. were like, yeah, I should have worked on that, but you didn't because you didn't really feel like it. Do you think it's important to have sort of forced yourself to sit down and do it or to just let it marinate and come to it when you're ready? I, I think there's – so there's, 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 there's two answers to that for me, and I think they go hand in hand. What I probably should have done is since I was right in front of my Pro Tools rig is at least – laid down the the uh, acoustic guitar track and then hummed a melody, you know, over it in the rig so that it sort of already exists in the rig instead of just on my voice notes. Because I've noticed that, you know, if I just leave it on the voice notes, then, you know, in three days, it's going to be 30 voice notes down, <laughs> you know, right, right. below. And so that, so that is one of the things that I now, and I'm glad we're talking about it because I'm, I'm going to put it down after this. Um, but that is one thing, but also letting the song marinate is, that is definitely, um, something that is that's beneficial. And I've noticed that with a lot of the songs, I have a, 
I have a song. I think it's I posted a sort of a version of it on uh, my Instagram, me doing it on a piano, but it's called My Baby and the Band. And it's a song about, you know, one of my favorite bands is the band. Right. And um Levon and 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 all those boys and Garth and all those boys. I just love I just love that damn I just love all those sounds and lo- I love listening to those records on vinyl and and so the song starts off with like, you know, pour the wine and drop the needle. She knows every word. And it's this really cool song. And I've noticed that since I've been here, there's a piano in this house that she's that we're renting. And every day I just kind of chiseled away a little bit more at that song. And it's going to be really, really good because I didn't force it. So some some things do need to marinate. I'm like you. I, I was a collegiate tennis player, so I, I know – I know discipline the way that you know discipline in terms of athletics. And I find Absolutely. now I'm a writer and I find there are times, Josh, where I have an idea and I know I should sit down. It's a good idea and I should sit down and do it, but I don't feel I'm not in the mood to do it. And so that's, what I, it, and that's the best way to put it. I wasn't in the mood. Right. You know, it came to me, but I wasn't in the mood to lay it down. Sorry, I had to cut you off there, but no, you, no, no. you stumbled upon a great way to say it, and I had to say it out loud again. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, and then I feel terrible because I feel like, well, the muse is sort of like poking you, and you're like, not now, I'm busy. <laughs> you know? Exactly. I, I, I believe in that. I, I also believe that, that there are, I mean, I don't want to get all like mystical or whatever, but um, I do believe that inspiration comes from somewhere else too. Like, I don't know. I think coming from the heavens or little beams of light or something are shining down every now and then because, you know, I remember writing busy making memories. I didn't even feel like I wrote that. It just like happened. And it was almost done in an hour. That, that, that's never the case when I'm writing Um, that the majority of it was done just sitting sitting around watching my kids. I had a huge hangover because uh, it was it was the day after New Year's. And I was just sitting there watching my kids and and I had my little guitar rig right there and I just started playing this really cool little riff and then a melody came out of nowhere. That's not even the typical melody that I usually create. And and then out of the out of just randomly when it when it when the song kind of started coming to the chorus. I just started going, I'm busy making memories. And it's just like, oh, shit. Well, there it is. That's neat. I don't know how, how some of them happen. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if there's a force, uh, an outside force. Or yeah. just like your subconscious just like bleeding out every now and then in a weird way. Well, I think it is an outside force. And I think that you as a sort of, you know, as a kind of tuning fork, you're either like open to it or you're not. And the days yeah. that you are, you write a brilliant song like that in an hour. So weird. Yeah, it is weird. <laughs> music is so, it's a weird, it's such a weird job too, but I, but I love it and I love creating music and I have noticed, um, you know, I, I made uh, an effort started about three months ago to become a lot healthier, you know, just like focus on gut health and, and, um, and I've no, I've, I think I've lost about 18 pounds, and I've noticed that being healthier, um, that it's helping everything. My music, my, you know, my mood, uh, my energy levels, and I think that's kind of part of it too. Is that 
you know, those days where I'm, where I'm saying to myself, like, this is a really good idea. I should do something with this, but I just don't feel like it. A lot of times that has to do with me just sort of feeling like it's kind of lethargic. And that's one thing that I've been changing is, um, it's sort of healing myself from the inside out. And I do believe that has made a, um, a big, a big change for the better in my career. Just being so, just being clear is helping a lot. For my money, I, I've I've watched your career from 2003, and I think you've just never sounded better. Well, I appreciate that. That 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 means a lot to me because that, that you know I do feel like whatever's going on is working, and that and uh, and I want to keep doing it. Like my buddy says, he goes, "Well, this is your thing now. This is what you do now." So you know, apply that to the rest of your life. And I was like, all right, I'm going to do it, Tony. <laughs> well, you do it very well. And I, I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me. I've always wanted to talk to you. I, I like I said, I've been a fan for a long time and, um, you know, I've always wanted to have a chat with you. So I appreciate you, you taking this time to do that with me. Well, you too. No, I, I love, I love talking about things like this and, uh, you know, something really positive always ends up coming from it. And, um, and and I always learn something from it. So I'm really appreciative of the opportunity. Thank you for having me. Appreciate that, man. Of course. And and now now I've made you uh, go back and do that song, John. <laughs> go back and no. I've literally bit. while we've been talking, I just turned <laughs> the Pro Tools rig on. It's already everything's already ready. Oh, there we go. <laughs> I'm literally in front of it right now. <laughs> <laughs> Josh Kelly, you're a good man. I appreciate your time, man. You and, too. and hopefully you'll come to San Francisco and we'll see you play live. Absolutely. Sounds good, brother. Well, there you go. Josh Kelly, uh, our leadoff hitter uh, for the decade here on Stereo Embers, the podcast. A lovely chat, a lovely guy. Uh, do check his stuff out uh, at joshkelly.com. <laughs> Not his stuff, his music. My God, uh, his stuff. Like he's uh, selling luggage or something. Uh, music, check his music out, joshkelly.com. Check out my luggage. I'm selling a bunch of it alexgreenonline.com. Go there. See what I'm up to. There's a lot of news coming down the Alex Green uh, pike. So stay tuned. My book will be out soon. I'll be talking about it incessantly. I will spare you for now, but get ready. All right. If you want to follow me on social media, I'm on all the social media things. You can find me on Twitter at Ember's Editor. You can find me on Instagram at Ember's Podcast or just email me, editor at StereoEmbersMagazine.com. Stereo Embers, the podcast, is available on all podcast platforms. Go to the one that makes you feel the most comfortable, the most safe. Subscribe for free. Tell a friend. Spread the word and uh, help us out, okay? Maybe a rating if you have some time. All right? Okay. Uh, you and I, we're busy making memories together, aren't we? Well, Josh Kelly is doing the same thing. <laughs> what am I, an AM DJ? Everything has to has to fit. Uh, Josh Kelly, Busy Making Memories is his new song. Do enjoy it, and I'll see you next time right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast only on Bombshell Radio. 
Like angels right in front of me. 